you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. Hey everyone, welcome to The Boot. That's right, it's The Boot. We're recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to do it anymore. Stop doing it. Guys, I'm Brian Flynn and um, going over my tax returns, <laughs> trying to see what's how to how to get me in jail. You're reaching yeah. so far. Uh, it's Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? Um, <laughs> starting this podcast in a weird headspace. Well, I, I, I'm going to give up on the, because Hollywood can't, it's like. I don't yeah. have anything. They've beaten me into submission, yeah. basically. Yeah, I watched a remake. We were just talking about a remake I watched, and I, it, you know, I lost sleep over it. I can't. Wait, I cannot wait for the day, and this is going to happen, when one or both of us are remaking a property <laughs> while we're recording this podcast, <laughs> and it'll be the spire of like, uh oh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. And then we'll go back into our jobs and be like, oh my god, I've made all the same mistakes. Just- Shitting on remakes. Or, or we then... make perfect reboots. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. It's Kevin Coster month, week three. Thanks for uh, joining us. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you for sticking with us. This week, Ken and I are talking about the 1987 gangster. I want to almost say like, it wasn't surreal, but this film was filmed very strangely. Brian De Palma. Um, the Untouchables starring Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, Charles Martin Smith, Andy Garcia, and Robert De Niro. Obviously, we're going to get into this movie, but I I haven't seen a Brian De Palma movie in a long time. And I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, these are the choices he always seems to make. You know what's weird about Kevin Costner movies is that when you said that this movie was made in 1987, I was like, oh, right. It's the oldest of the Costners we're going to do. And honestly, if you told me every single movie he's ever been in was made in like 1993, (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, exactly. I can't believe this movie was made in 1987. It's one of his like first big roles. It, it yeah, he he eternally looked 38 <laughs> from the time he was 28 to yeah. the time he was 52. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but before Ken and I pick these five characters and recast those characters as if this movie was to be remade in 2018, Ken and I have to get through some reboot news that's actually going on in the world. Dwayne Johnson's Big Trouble in Little China will be a continuation. Not a remake. This is huge news. It's been a spell since we've heard anything about the Big Trouble in Little China remake, which is understandable when you're dealing with someone as busy as Dwayne Johnson. Wow, they didn't even The Rock him. We're just calling him Dwayne Johnson. No, I'm going to call him. We shouldn't call him Dwayne Johnson. I'm going to call him Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) So when I recently spoke with Hiram Garcia, president of production at Seven Bucks Productions, uh, which is... The Rock's production company. I was curious to know the status. I say I because yeah, that's this what is, this person wrote. I didn't interview this person. This article is from Collider written by Adam Chitwood. All right, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, I was curious to know the status of the project and how this remake would differ from Carpenter's original. As it turns out, Garcia revealed that the plan now is not to remake Carpenter's film. He said, quote, There's a lot of things going on with Big Trouble in Little China. We're in the process of developing that. And let me tell you, the idea is not to actually remake Big Trouble in Little China. You can't remake a classic like that. So what we're planning to do is we're going to continue the story. We're going to continue the universe of Big Trouble in Little China. Everything that happened in the original exists and is standalone. And I think there's only one person that could ever play Jack Burton. So Dwayne would never try to play him. We're just having a lot of fun. I think that's a great way to go. I, I I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but there's like a big mystic element to this movie, right? I don't think I've ever seen Big Trouble in Little China, but I love Kurt Russell. All right, we're almost out of here. Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Offices, storerooms, a nice false front. I count to three. Hello, I, want you. I open that door and we move Joel. out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. <laughs> may be trapped yeah there's a lot of like ancient ghosts and like magic and it's fun there's like an element of like slapstick uh adventure but also what i love about big trouble in little china is everything looks like it was built on a set <laughs> in like all the action pieces mm-hmm. and so it, it feels like a, um 
like a proto comic book movie mm-hmm. where it's it's separated from our own reality. And I think, but it's if, original, right? It's, it's not original based yeah. on any property. I don't think so. So for them Fun. to be like, yeah, we're going to continue it. My only thing would be like, yeah, do whatever you want. But I hope that they keep sort of the aesthetic that the original had. That's that's my only kind of note. Well, maybe they'll get John Carpenter involved in some way. I mean, he's hopped aboard the Halloween uh, continuation. Yeah. So. Uh, reading some articles about the new Halloween movie, I absolutely thought John Carpenter had died years ago. <laughs> so they were nope, like, here's he's John Carpenter. Alive. And I was like, oh, good for him. Were you like scared for a minute? You were like, he died. <laughs> a little bit. I was like, wait. How is he here? He's become one of his own creations. <laughs> okay. Um, watch Big Trouble in Little China. You might actually. Uh, Don't tell me what to do. Watch it. <laughs> um. It's it's kind of fun, although probably racist by now. Um, oh, boy. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Warner Bros. Wiley E. Coyote movie finds its scribes in the Silberman Brothers. I can't read. Silberman Brothers? Silberman Brothers. Roadrunner's nemesis, Wiley E. Coyote, a.k.a. Super Genius, is getting his own big screen feature, and Deadline has learned that John and Josh Silberman... <laughs> The supervising producers behind CBS's Living Biblically have been hired to write Coyote versus Acne. First of all, Super Genius? What is that? Is that? Yeah, I'm trying to recall if that was like a continuing nickname he had. I've never called it. No one has ever referred to him as Super Genius. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Wile E. Coyote. Genius. I am not selling anything, nor am I working my way through college. So let's get down to cases. You are a rabbit, and I am going to eat you for supper. Wiley Coyote is a is a beloved Looney Tunes character, and sure, he doesn't talk, but <laughs> this is going to be fun. Nor does he the uses signs. Yeah, the Coyote versus Acme line. I kind of like that. I kind of like that as a title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, Why not? I I I've always enjoyed the Looney Tunes more than any Disney sort of original character. Oh, really? Yeah, like Chuck Jones has a very, very secure and safe place deep in my heart. Chuck Jones, the the very famous Warner Brothers animator. Warner Bros. Warner Bros. Um, I mean, he he did so many of the Roadrunner shorts that um, I would hope. I don't know. Is this a cartoon? This is going to be a cartoon. I think so. Or is it going to be like? Is Which it going to be Wiley Coyote they... like going to an actual like? courthouse to sue an actual company. Which is interesting because <laughs> Coyote versus Acme. Um, both Looney Tunes movies that they mention are a mix of animation and live action. Then I, be- I bet it's so probably So they haven't be a mix. done a full yeah. animated movie. I bet it would be a mix. I, I would just say as long as it, if it had that sort of Chuck Jones aesthetic, I would a thousand percent go to this movie. Um, and who knows if this does well, maybe it's like, oh, we'll get like a a Duck Rogers movie with Porky Pig and, and Daffy. They could make um Foghorn Leghorn movie. They could make a Foghorn Leghorn movie. Would they? Yeah, with him and the Chicken Hawk. Remember, he was like uh-huh. he was trying to show the Chicken Hawk how to be is like a the, chicken, is but he's the a Chicken Hawk. Best thing for us. I Who cares? <laughs> We're getting them anyway. What I'm trying to say is that I'm Foghorn just trying Leghorn to guide is the conversation. probably a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Pepe Le Pew is definitely should be behind bars. So yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Hashtag me too. Um, Le Pew needs to go to jail. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the news. Okay, so this story, our news is a little flimsy this week. <laughs> so here you go. A new police academy movie is coming. Says Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg, who you should go to for all your news. Star of beloved 1980s franchise Police Academy tweeted on Monday that a new Police Academy was in the works. Responding to a Twitter user who asked the star to please film another installment, Gutenberg responded, quote, Adam, the next Police Academy is coming. No details yet, but it is in a gift bag being readied, end quote. Gutenberg starred as Officer Mahoney in a number of the films, but not all of them. To date, the last film released in the series was 1994's Police Academy Mission to Moscow. The film franchise helped spawn a cartoon series and a toy line. It also made actors such as Michael Winslow and Bobcat Goldwaith. Household names. I love Police Academy. <laughs> Police Academy 1 it's, through 3. 3 might be my favorite, but Police Academy like 1 through 3. Even 4 is pretty good. I don't think I've ever seen anything other than the first one. You have had prior military training, Mahoney. Well, yes, but not in this life, sir. 
In a previous life, I served with Her Majesty's forces in India. All right, Goot. If you uh, if you know, if you say so, if you've become we the head of. We Paramount have to Pictures. believe. Like if Steve Gutenberg says it, we have to believe him, right? I, I just feel like if it doesn't happen, Adam, whoever Adam is, is going to be Adam, so heartbroken. Random Twitter user who just wanted to know. Think about this. Police Academy One came out in 1984. The mm-hmm. last one came out in 19. 19- 94. 94. Yeah. 10 years of seven? Holy cow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Police Academy movies in 10 years. Think about this. Gutenberg was in the first four. This is bread and butter. From 84, 85, 86, 87. Four years in a row, he came out with a Police Academy movie. On top of Three Men and a Baby. Uh Uh-huh. And he had one more big... Gutenberg movie that it's escaping me but it's like has anyone ever had a better career than Steve Gutenberg from 1984 <laughs> to 1987 probably but for the purposes of this podcast right now no three men and a little lady was in 1990 oh he was in the fourth sharknado oh he was in lava lantula oh he's making his money on the sci-fi channel now I won't say that they're the best movies, but I mean, this guy like owned the mid to late 80s. <laughs> like, would you rather have Ryan Gosling's career them. from like 2005 to 2008? Or would you rather be Steve Gutenberg from fucking like, would you rather be Ryan Gosling now? Or would you rather be Steve Gutenberg from 1994 to 1997? You might say Steve Gutenberg. I'm going to say Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Okay. But you're right. I might have said. All right. Let's get into the reboot of The Untouchables. Um, but before we do, we got to tell you guys the amendments of the podcast. What? The rules. <laughs> I'm trying to make a prohibition joke. Again, my jokes are turning into dad jokes. I'm just going to fucking Well, stop. sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it works. This is a case where it didn't work. <sighs> Just FYI. All right. This is a podcast best listened to with an open IMDb. We may talk about some people you've never heard of and you're going to want to look them up. We will also be talking about a movie that you may not have seen. So if you haven't seen The Untouchables, pause us right now and go watch it. I think I actually would genuinely recommend this movie. Hmm. Okay. Um, Rule number one, no remakes, reboots, or long lost sequels. We can't do a movie that's already been redone in the last 20 years. This includes franchises like Police Academy. Sure, sure. That pop back up with sequels every few decades? Lisa Um, Rule number two, no imaginary casting. Our dream cast must be made up of actors that are alive and working today. And rule number three, no Tinder casting. We can't cast someone just based on how they look. You have to have seen their work and be able to vouch for their talent. Okay, guys, this is the reboot of The Untouchables. I want you to tell us which one of these entries is Al Capone. It's A. Costa. Is that your code name for Capone? You're going to do the whole thing in the joint unless you help us here, pal. I want you to translate this ledger for us. In hell. In hell? Mucking with a G here, pal. You're going to hang higher than Haman unless you cooperate. This man can finger Al Capone. This man could put Capone behind bars. Why don't you guys just fuck off? Fucking with you, Mr. Hardcase. We have to have that information one way or another. Not that way. You're gonna talk, eh? Out. I'm gonna be begging to talk, but somebody's gonna talk. The Untouchables, directed by Brian De Palma, director of such movies as Scarface, Dressed to Kill, and the first Mission Impossible, which is still a classic, stars Kevin Costner as the real-life treasury agent Elliot Ness, Sean Connery as Jim Malone, Charles Martin Smith as Agent Oscar Wallace, Andy Garcia as Agent George Stone, and Robert De Niro as the Al Capone. Um, all right, Kenna, what did, what did you think about this movie? I found this movie really hard to recast, and honestly, I think it's Kevin Costner. Really? I think there's a certain quality to him that makes him feel a little irreplaceable. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but like, I feel like I searched forever to find the people that felt right for yeah. this movie. And it was really tough. Kevin Costner is getting, he's getting annoying. Not that I don't enjoy his performances. Mm -hmm. I think the opposite. I'm actually noticing his like nuances. (laughs) So then when I try and dissect what would make like who would be a good person to take on this role, it becomes very hard because he plays Elliot Ness much different than, say, Crash from Bull Durham or Mm -hmm. Mariner from Waterworld. But with the same kind of uh, nuance that um, 
that he does every character, which I guess is just making me realize that he's a good actor. He's a good actor. And I think he fills a space that I'm coming to find not I don't know how many people today really do. All right. Well, let's let's start with Elliot Ness. Let's okay. start with the man of the hour, Kevin Costner. Um, why don't you go first this week? Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, wow. It's interesting. Like none of my notes are about him. <laughs> I did write that I find uh, the way Kevin Costner holds a gun is not comforting. Like the very first time we sit they're on the stakeout and he goes, he, he sees the reporter and goes to like confront him because he thinks it's like a lookout or mm-hmm. something. The way he's holding his gun, I was like, this man, why is he in charge of anything? I did um, actually like not, not that specific, but the idea that Elliot Ness, when he first starts the job is not good. How did you know I had a gun? What do you want? Free lesson in police work? Are you okay, pal? One thing I noted was how not intimidating he sounds when he's, I think there's only like two times he comes face to face with Capone. And the first time when the guys are like holding him back and he's like, like he sounds so not intimidating. Yeah. Which is just who he is. Speaking of when we first see him, his first attempt is pretty funny. It's almost like his first attempt to have a Chicago accent. He says something in a Chicago accent. He says, he says one word in a Chicago accent once. And I feel like DePalm was like, don't, don't ever do, do that. that again. Just play it straight. Um, yeah, this was a really tough character, I think, to sort of uh, modernize. I feel like I wrote some names down that were like, well, I mean, I guess he sort of looks the part, but it mm-hmm. just didn't quite sit in the pocket. Because Elliot Ness is supposed to be, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but Kevin Costner's 32. Do you know, would you want to know how old Elliot Ness was when this all went down? Because I looked it up. Okay. He was 26. Uh, see, that's the thing is I kept thinking he needs to be younger than some of the men that I was finding that seemed to suit the part mm-hmm. because there's a certain amount of inexperience that I think he needs to be able to portray yeah. because it's it's all fresh to him. Like he has a wife. He has kids. He's trying to be a family man and do his job, which apparently he got married like three times and none of it really mattered. But it, it was just a really unique thing to pinpoint. And I was like, nobody just suits this the way, like we said, eternally young Kevin Costner apparently <laughs> did. Um, and so I landed on a really interesting choice, but I'm excited about it because I love him mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I see him enough. I picked Patrick Fugit. Ooh. Right? Okay. I got to look up what Patrick Fugit looks because like. Because right I watched the trailer for Damien Chazelle's First Man. Yeah. And I remember catching a glimpse of him and being like, is that Patrick Fugit? And so this week I sort of went back and like looked at him and was like, oh, interesting. He is, he's 35. And mm. the more that I kept thinking about him in this role, the more I was like, it makes a lot of sense. I do like this. He has a certain youth and an experience to him, but he also has a certain authority. Patrick Fugit, for people who don't know, he was in Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. He was, I think he was like 16 yeah, in that movie. he was a kid in Almost Famous. He was Famous. a kid in Almost Famous. And since then has been in such movies as Gone Girl and We Bought a Zoo. Um, he had a small TV show that didn't last called Outcast. Uh, yeah, I, I love Patrick Fugit. I'm jealous I gotta say I'm jealous. He still looks innocent. He still looks yeah. kind of fresh. And I he mean, definitely part of that doesn't... might be because we still see him as... Yeah, but I think uh, that works in his advantage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It would kind of be interesting to see him become the Elliot Ness at the end, just like pushing dudes off buildings. What did you say? I said that your friend died screaming like a stuck Irish pig. Now you think about that when I beat the rat. I picked someone – I'm going to see – I'm going to be interested in how you take this because I know you like this actor. Uh-oh. But he's older than Costner was even though I knew that Elliot Ness was like 26 when he – when all of this was going down. Mm-hmm. I picked this actor because he's a great actor. He also – I think he also kind of looks like Elliot Ness but – Oh, um, interesting. He's almost 40. I picked James McAvoy. I do love James McAvoy. You do love James McAvoy. And he does sort of look like Elliot Ness. Who is not an attractive guy. <laughs> um, I just like I think McAvoy is an incredible performer. The only yeah. thing that I uh, am now kind of wondering is, does he play those kind of 
weaker sort of not weaker but like physically kind of leaner characters because now he's all ripped right from split uh, split and glass and, yeah but I, I just think he's tremendous i just think he's someone where like he's a really really good actor yeah. honestly i don't think he gets enough credit i don't know i don't know i think maybe i'm bumping on it just a little but i don't there's no reason to here's be great here's the other i was so I was reading about Elliot, like, I was kind of like, okay, this is a historic movie. I'm going to kind of go into the the biopic vein and try and see. Um, the only two real people in this movie I was gonna are say, Elliot Ness and None of these other people were real, but. But um, Elliot Ness in this movie, and I wrote this, this is my only note of this movie, is like, if I never see another movie about like a, a good, a quote unquote good man with a doting wife at home, it'll be way too soon. <laughs> Because in real life, Elliot Ness had like a fucked up life. Yeah, and we they sort of painted him to be like not just like a good guy, but the best. The best had. guy. Yeah. I know that many of you take a drink. What you've done before today is not my concern. But now we must be pure, and I want you to stop. It's not a question of whether or not it's a harmless drink. It may very well be, but it's against the law, gentlemen. And as we are going to enforce the law, we must do first by example. But he's not the best because his wife had a baby and he shows up and she's like, yeah, I'm fine. The baby's fine. And he's like, you think that's great? I just caught Al Capone. <laughs> I was like, OK, Elliot, calm down. Your wife just had a baby. So that's why I picked. And I and I stand by it. I just the like the age is a little weird, but I just think he's so fucking good that I would mm -hmm. love to see him. him. <laughs> I would love to see him. Sort of more from the kind of desk jockey to this bad cop. Yeah. Over the course of all in the name of good. Plus, I mean, I do think that the Prohibition era Costner that we get is possibly the best Costner we've seen yet. What do you mean? I just think like he looks fantastic. Oh, the whole movie. Oh, 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 his face is so smooth. Do you ever notice that? He's got a smooth face. Listen. His face is always smooth and somewhat wet. If you told me he wet. made all of his movies within a span of five years, I would be like, Exactly. <laughs> He did. He really he did. He did not like he he did not age. There's something. Well, I mean, his hair changed, but. OK, let's move on to Jim Malone, played by the Sean Connery, who won an Oscar for this movie, which is weird. First of all, because he's supposed to be Irish. And I kept trying to imagine Sean Connery attempting to switch his Scottish to Irish. You would think that would be kind of easy, right? Because geographically proc. Prox in proximity, like the countries are close. There's a lot of like travel I between the two. Imagine it would be easy, but not for Sean Connery. I mean, example A, Highlander. Because he seems like the kind of actor who's like, I'll do whatever you want, but like I can't do, I can't do a voice. Did you read the trivia? I'll where, just be me. Did you read the trivia where his like first dance set, he showed up in like full golf attire? Oh, yeah. Or he yeah. was like late, showed up in full golf attire. And then the production was like, well, we had to rearrange stuff. So he's like, okay, great. And then he goes and like golfs a full like 18 holes. Then he comes back, acts for five minutes and then is like peace. And like Andy Garcia and Charles Martin Smith are like, we know you did that on purpose. And he turns back and he's like, this ain't my first rodeo or whatever. <laughs> it's just like. And it's so fascinating for how much of his life that people just gave him everything he wanted. Like they built him a house on Alcatraz when he made The Rock because he was like, I'm not taking the ferry. But I mean, day. like he delivers such a great performance. I need to know where this guy is. I need to know now. And I'm going to rat you out for all the shit that I know that you've done in your life. I'm going to turn you over. This is a dead man talking to me. That's it. What's fascinating to me about this movie is that they are main characters, quote unquote, the untouchables. They look so cool in every single scene. Like they could be doing yeah. nothing. And Brian De Palma is shooting them like they are superheroes. And it's so fascinating mm. that that is like the sort of automatic mindset of like, OK, it's a truce ish story and we're using somewhat real characters and, and they just. Yeah. Well, blow it up. OK, so I had two actors in mind for this role. Mm -hmm. They're both really great. I think I picked the one I picked because he's now I kind of want to switch. But uh -oh. um because he's kind of playing that kind of mentor character on Game of Thrones. Uh -oh. I picked Liam Cunningham. Interesting. Yeah. I will say he is on my list because he's perfect, but I had already, I cast you him cast in Titanic, Titanic and yeah. I was like, ugh. Like, I know that's our very you first. You should have picked Steve Carell. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe 
believe you cast Steve Carell as the captain. Uh, of the it's a flawless pick. Um, but so I tried really hard, but he he's perfect for this. Yeah. No, he is actually Irish, right? Yeah, and um, both of the actors I was considering were, were Irish, but he had that like saltiness to him that I that I loved, and, and I think in Game of Thrones, onioniness, if you will, an onion, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think in Game of Thrones he's a little more proper, and I and I kind of Game of Thrones is the first thing I saw him in, so I was I'm gonna give him this because. I want to see him be a little more. Um, you want to like di- dirty yes, him up a little exactly. bit, exactly. Like let him be rough. Like even in this death scene, he's kind of like he, he's talking trash the whole time, and yeah. you're like, you're gonna you're gonna fucking die, dude. Isn't that just like a wop? Brings a knife to a gunfight. Get out of here, you dagle bastard! Go on, get your ass out of here! <laughs> <laughs> As soon a, as that scene didn't end with the guy, like I was like, "Why are you chasing him out? Shoot him in your hallway!" Like, yeah, he's a salty person. Um, but no, I completely agree. I think there is. I think if you sort of gave Liam Cunningham the liberty to make this as yeah, I'd be like stressed, as like dude. street cop yeah, as yeah. you as you wanted, because he's so sassy when he first meets Elliot. Yeah. Like he like. Like when he turns his back on him and he's like, hey, why? like, you know, I have a gun. Why would you like what's wrong with you? And he's like, you're a treasury officer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you going to do with this gun? Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I think that's a perfect pick. I also picked an actor from Game of Thrones and somebody who mm. also sort of plays a mentor role and who I think, again, if you let him off the leash a little bit and let him make things a little rougher. Yeah. Um, I think he could really do a phenomenal job. And that's Ian Glenn. Yeah. Who plays Sir Jorah Mormont on Game of Thrones. Um, he also did a, a pretty good stint on Downton Abbey um, that was pretty phenomenal. And he's he's a prolific actor. He's like in the background of like Resident Evil movies. He was in Tomb Raider. And he's done tons of stuff in the UK. There's a lot. I'm Now that I'm thinking about it, there's at least like five or six actors from Game of Thrones who could do this, who like, could do this? salty Irish cop from Chicago. For, I was like, for yeah. three seconds, I was like, how old is Charles Dance? Because <laughs> um, um, if you want somebody to be salty. But uh, I'm only talking about Game of Thrones because I feel like that show has a specific tone mm-hmm. that really doesn't allow for many characters to kind of play this. Yeah. So I, Everybody yeah. is in a point in a hierarchical point yeah. where like there are several characters who who could not step to maybe the their potential as a as an actor it's very restrained yeah but no i think that's a really great pick um let's move on to agent oscar wallace played by charles martin smith who i has he is charles i don't know if charles martin smith has been I, a lot of things. when i looked him up it sort of seems like he's mostly like writing and directing now okay so it was one of those things where i was like i don't think i know you from anywhere else but when his uh, character showed up, I I was like, this guy looks straight out of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> he had the fedora and the big Coke bottle glasses yeah. and, like, the, and the pipe. And I was just like. When they first like hand him a gun, I feel like I was like, oh, right. Like, yeah. you sort of see him as like the guy who's going to be like, eh, according to my calculations. Yeah. Uh, like, who is that character from? <laughs> just reminded myself of the magic school bus. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There was that one character that was always like, according to my calculations, Mm -hmm. I really got off track there. Um, But they like hand him a gun and he like goes hog wild. Tough guy! So I wanted to pick somebody who sort of continued the idea that he's like a little nerdy. He seems a little more demure, a little quieter. Yeah. Yeah. I use the word demure to just describe a man. Take back the narrative, ladies. Um, So I just wanted to pick someone that I was like, I I like them as an actor, but I just don't see them as as an action person so Mm -hmm. that we get that sort of same interest that when we see him like scream shooting people in Canada, you're like, oh. He's that was like, one of the fucking funniest he's whole doing sequences. It. Like he is, he's actually doing this. Um, so I picked Alan Leach, who, if you watched Downton Abbey, played I did not Tom Branson, aka Sybil's husband. 
Um, okay. R.I.P. Um, uh, I don't know this person, so please talk about him. But he's, I mean, I feel like he's done bit parts in a ton of, of things you may have seen. The Imitation Game. Oh, In Fear is a great movie. Guys, if you've never seen In Fear, I think it's on some streaming service, but it's a horror movie that takes place almost entirely inside a car and it's wonderful. Um, yeah, he is, uh, I can encourage you to look up a picture of him because I feel like when you see him, you're going to be like, oh yeah, this guy looks like he probably couldn't take a punch, but then he would. He kind of has a very Sean Astin vibe. Yeah. He's a little Astin-y. He's a little Astin-y. That sounds wrong. Um, <clears throat> but I, again, I don't know this guy, so, uh, I'm just going to defer to you. Maybe. Yeah, no, he's. <laughs> maybe he's good. Maybe he sucks. I don't know. Oh, Wow. Maybe you did good. Maybe you made a terrible choice. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about my pick. Um, I picked someone. Oh, boy. <laughs> so this is how I did it. So I I picked the Andy Garcia character first. Okay. And I was like, oh, I really like this character. Um, and we'll get to Andy Garcia in a bit. But um, I, I wanted to pick someone in stark contrast to that kind of suave, quiet gunslinger that Andy Garcia plays. Mm-hmm. And I was searching and searching and searching, and I was like, I want to find someone different than kind of the shorter, stockier nerd. Because I had just picked James McAvoy, who is, I, th- I think, a little sh- shorter than most – than well, Kevin Costner's about like 6'2", something oh, like that. is he? I think he's a tall guy. Huh. Seems sort of average. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that was just the impression that I got. So I who is it? So I picked like an actor. Please who, say, please say like Alexander Skarsgård right now. Please no, say it. No, no. I picked an actor who is mainly in comedies, but has done dramas. And when he is in dramas, they're usually like very high end dramas. I picked Zach Woods. Okay, okay. Which is I I picked I picked all everyone like days ago and then mm-hmm. this was the last one this was the one i had the hardest of and then i landed on zach woods and i was like i'm just gonna uh, you know what i'm gonna send it into the lab i'm gonna see how it goes i mean it's interesting because when you first see oscar like the i feel like the after watching the whole movie you're like oh okay it all makes sense i feel like we would get that same vibe when we first see zach woods yeah we would be like what and when they hand him a gun you'd be like that's not good yeah and then at the end, you'd be like, well, yeah. And I think he did it. I think Oscar might be the only uh, I, I guess Sean Connery's character, Jim, has some comedic moments. But that's because of like he's this sort of rougher, mm-hmm. um, abrasive character. Oscar has some funny moments because he he seems like he doesn't belong and he seems like he shouldn't really be here. But like he also shows because up- he's always like, listen, I can tell you the exact way we're going to get Al Capone. And yeah. everybody's like, eh. Shut up, He's nerd. kind of like a know-it-all pest, but he's right. You know he's making over $3 million a year, but he's paid no taxes. Nothing's in his name. If we can establish any payments to him at all, we can prosecute him for income tax evasion. Try a murder for not paying his taxes? Oh, well, it's better than nothing. And if you guys don't know who Zach Woods is, I mean, he's in, he plays Jared in Silicon Valley. He's also in The Post. Like, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, he's so good in this one HBO comedy that Steven Spielberg was like, get me this guy. He is, and he's so easily watchable. In terms of the character of Oscar, I like that idea of like him being this like goofy academic who keeps Mm kind of coming to them with like the tax evasion thing. The number of times he's like, this will work. This will work. And they're like, or we could just like shoot him, catch him in the act. Guns. But also when he gets murdered in the elevator, Mm. I think that's also equally important to like feel. Yeah. So like with an actor like Zach Woods, who you instantly like immediately, Mm -hmm. I think would be way more effective in this movie. That's true. I do think at that point, especially when uh, they find him in the elevator, you would be like, oh. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the sexiest policeman ever uh, shown on cinema, Agent George Stone. Apologies, AKA... apologies to Barry Pepper, <laughs> um, but <laughs> played by uh, played by Andy Garcia. I'm trying to look up what George George Stone's uh, name in the movie was. It was like Giuseppe. It was an it was like a very Italian. Name. Well, it's supposed to be the Italian version of George Stone, but Giuseppe is Joseph. Joseph. So yeah. they did it wrong it should have been George, Giorgio right yeah Giorgio which is so funny because Andy Garcia is uh not Italian yeah this is the second <laughs> time he's played an Italian American he looks Italian I know. 
which I feel like we'll get to when we cast Al Capone. But um, I loved Andy Garcia in this movie because he didn't talk. He didn't talk at all in this movie. (laughs) At all. But it's all worth it for that final scene with the baby carriage. Because when he like slides in, I was just like, wow, I've been waiting like two hours for a moment like this. His introduction is so good. What's your real name? That is my real name. Nah. What was it before you changed it? Giuseppe Petri. Jeez, I knew it. That's all you need, one thieving wop on the team. What's that you say? I said that you're a lying member of a no-good race. It's much better than you, you stinking Irish pig. Oh, I like him. You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Even though, yeah, it's it's an odd moment because Sean Connery is like interviewing him and he's angry with him that he's trying not to he's trying not to be Italian, which I mean, at that point in time was in his best interest. Um, I did like that point. It was just like Italian-Americans at this time are sort of being regarded as like criminals, gangsters, and he's someone who. And especially for like an Irish cop, Scottish cop and an italian cop like there would have been a lot of mistrust yeah Yeah. which i also think it made for a beautiful moment when they're when they in the dinner scene where they ask him like why do you really want to be a cop and Mm -hmm. he's just like i've always wanted to be a cop yeah even in like a cast of talkers like he is perfect as the strong silent sort of enforcer so who did you pick um i had a lot of trouble with this one too because ultimately I, I picked some younger people because I was like, especially if he's a recruit, I think it's okay if he is a tad younger. Yeah. I ended up picking someone who is not not as young, but definitely looks uh, fresh. And I, I thought, honestly, this was a great find because I think I've only seen him in maybe like one or two things, but he's remarkable um, in anything I've seen him in. I picked Christopher Abbott. I don't know if you've seen a movie called It Comes at Night. Oh, yeah. He's in Girls. Sure. Um, (laughs) Just be like the guy who left Girls because he's better than Girls. Yeah. Let's not talk about Lita Dunham, please. Okay. Um, But I found him so striking. Like it was one of those instances where after It Comes at Night, honestly, a movie that should have been dominated by the presence of Joel Edgerton and it. I left the movie being like, who is that guy? Mm-hmm. Like, who is that other guy? I never saw It Comes at Night, but I I really wanted to. I just looked at he's going to be in First Man, which is yeah. uh, looks extraordinary. I, saw, I Again, I had this moment where when I was like, man, two of my people are going to be in First Man. It's a really good cast. The most violent year Very I also excited. wish I watched. Like, his whole IMDb is like, you should watch the things I'm in because either I make them good or I'm good enough to be in them. Yeah, I think ultimately I've seen him in Whiskey, <clears throat> Tango, Foxtrot, It yeah. Comes at Night, and A Most Violent Year. Yeah, I think this pick is great. Um, He definitely has that kind of like quiet killer to him, but like on the side of, you know, yeah, on the side of wherever you place him on the side of, he'll probably Mm -hmm. nail it. Um, I I picked an actor who's kind of in the similar vein, who kind of plays a quiet, I wouldn't call him a hero, although I haven't (laughs) seen, I haven't seen season two of the show, but I picked... Max Minghella from Handmaid's Tale and Social mm-hmm. Network. Social Network. Um, and I, I found That's out true. that he, uh, I found out that he is like a quarter Chinese, which is kind of fucking crazy. So he's like half Italian, half Jewish, half Chinese, which is right up my alley. Um, <laughs> ha, guys, you're figuring out in real time Brian's type. Kenna, let's just let's just say the number on the Kinsey scale we land. <laughs> real let's just get real um i think that's a really solid choice thank you there's something very he looks very young but there's something behind his eyes that is very knowing yeah um so i definitely think he could be the um and in a way he sort of does this in the first half of the handmaid's tale the first season where he is sort of the strong silent type yeah um i think for this he would be great should we move on to al capone Okay, here's the thing about Al Capone. A million and three actors have played Al Capone. Yeah. Like, but in a way that doesn't make sense. Tom Hardy is playing Al Capone in a new movie. Really? Yeah. For who? Like, for... For for, for, Like, who's the director of this movie? For who? For us. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait, who is it? Who is is directing this movie? 
Josh Trank. Oh. Yeah, no, that's Chronicle? That's not great. Fantastic Four? But he, I mean, he looks, it's just one of those things, too, where I'm like, I guess you could pick a physical type and just make it work. I'm sorry, who gave Josh Trank another movie? I don't know. Listen, if you are a... I, I, I'm going to get on. I'm not going to nope. do it. I'm you not going to say it. it. I know. I know. I know. And I agree with you. I, I was going to say if you're a mediocre white man, they'll keep giving you yeah, movies. I know. They just will. There's no way to stop it. Okay. So <laughs> I this is how I did. I, I tried to pick someone who was physically unintimidating. And I've always thought McAvoy was physically intimidating, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's now like an Iron Man. Um. And so I've been dying to cast this character actor forever. And I was just like, fuck it. This is where he's going. Oh, he's so fucking good forever in the things that I've seen him in. I picked a a man named Glenn Fleshler. Oh, boy. Who plays the bad guy in Barry. He's also the Yellow King in the first season of True Detective. Okay, yeah. He's in Billions, and I th- and he also was another gangster in Boardwalk Empire that wasn't Al Capone. But he is so good in True Detective and so funny in Barry. This man is diverse. This guy is like you could you could make him not diverse. He's versatile. That's I, what I meant to say. I I promise you, this guy's gonna be in like a Marvel movie or a Star War very soon because that's that's a just how Star they Star War. But he's so scary he is so just physically intimidating and frightening Mm -hmm. that when you see him you are automatically off put and i think for capone that's sort of the kind of guy he was i think that's a really good choice thank you i like him a lot i honestly thought robert de niro really out de niroed himself (laughs) i want that son of a bitch dead I want him dead. I want him dead. I don't care. What am I alone in this world? Did I ask you what you're trying to do? Did I ask you what you're trying to do? Please. I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ashes. So I decided honestly to throw the physical type out of the way because I was like, anybody and everybody has played Capone. We can make him look like Capone. Yeah. That's not a big deal. So I wanted to pick an actor who I liked because I was like, honestly, if he gives a good performance, like the the transformation will happen. Um, So I picked, honestly, one of the most reliable actors I feel like we have out there. Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly was a challenge because Capone died when he was 48. Really? Yeah. Of syphilis, right? I think he had like pneumonia or something, but that could also be code there's, for there's a There's a gangster syphilis. who died of an STD because he was so erratic in his behavior yeah. that people think that like the disease was making him fucking insane. Yeah. Like who was, what was, who's the English king who had syphilis? Charles. The all of them. Second. <laughs> wow. Cause they're all okay. Related. England. We're coming for you. They're all related to each other. America. Um, <laughs> that scared me. <laughs> I'm scared. Um, okay. Yeah. So I picked Christmas Cena who, if you've been keeping up with water cooler television just finished uh sharp objects um he also has been in almost everything yeah he was in the mindy project uh he was in oh my gosh right he was in a sam smith music video completely forgot about that he was in argo ruby sparks uh devil i don't know if anybody saw that but i love it julian julia vicky christina barcelona like he is in he's in a lot of stuff everything and he is a really solid oh right he is the salesperson and you've got mail yeah who she like gives advice to yeah Mm -hmm. he he he's someone who i have tried to cast in things for a long time there's always this funny thing where like if an actor doesn't really fit i'm like can i better not cast this person before i do and this is sort of that instant i do love chris messina He's very, very talented. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, I don't think you need to, like... You you could dress him up like Al Capone yeah. for him to And he would fit. be Al Capone. Yeah. yeah. Here's some fun Al Capone uh, facts <laughs> that I was looking up. Hit me with it. Yeah. After Capone was released <laughs> from prison, he was referred to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore for the treatment of parasis caused by late-stage syphilis. Oh. Parasis. Um what? In 1946, his physician and Baltimore psychiatrist performed examinations and concluded that Capone had the mentality of a 12-year-old child. Wow. He died of pneumonia, but he had suffered a stroke previous to that. Uh, He suffered cardiac arrest on January 22nd, 1947. 
I think that's a really, really good pick to sort of say, like, I'm going to break the mold. I'm just going to say, like, anyone can play Al Capone. I'm going to pick a guy who could definitely do it and hasn't really gotten the shot for those kind of for that kind of spotlight and that kind of shine. Yeah. Like and, and the thing is, Capone is not a big role in this movie. No, I think he's only in like five scenes. I mean, and on, one of them is the most because, I mean, before I ever saw this movie, I think I had heard about the baseball bat thing and it's notorious. That's true. Um, so it was the jury swapping. Oh, yeah. He yeah. paid the jury off. And so the judge was like, switch juries. He was at Alcatraz for a little while, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I just had his facts up and I, and I closed the tab. <laughs> wow, you really let me. OK, guys, that was our cast for The Untouchables. Kenna, should we do it? Should we get to it? Let's get to what this podcast is really about. Guys, where does Barry Pepper go? I put Barry Pepper in a really funny spot. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because, again, I'm going to come back to the scene a lot. (laughs) I put him as the the Mountie captain. Oh, interesting. Why is this scene in this movie? (laughs) like? Wait, which one? The whole thing in Canada? I know why they're... On the Canadian border because mm-hmm. that's where they're getting the whiskey from. Yes. But like the whole Dudley Do-Right aspect of the Mounties was like, this oh, is that so shot, fucking that strange. That shot of them like slowly right <laughs> yeah, hit me in the weirdest way. It was, it was so like – like you see that on like – animated tv shows like yeah. family guy would do something that like that bojack horseman would do something <laughs> like that what's interesting though about that whole because it does go on for a long time mm-hmm. but what's interesting is that we do get uh which again not like we couldn't have gotten this elsewhere but we get this sort of canadian moralism of like they're doing things the chicago way and the mountie captain is like i don't agree with this and even elliot like we get the moment of him like when he like kills the guy and he's like, why did you have to do it? You're yeah. like, you get the sense that like they're coming at it hard, but like they're like Elliot's not like a cold blooded killer. I know. Like the only thing I could think of is, is Brian De Palma's really trying to lay down this thickness that like Chicago police have to do things differently. <laughs> and like can- the Canadian Mounties. Sort Mounties of, will never know. Like the Canadian Mounties sort of represent like the old. John, not even John Wayne cowboy, but like almost like the Ronald Reagan cowboy where mm-hmm. they're just, just like sterling silver badge and they yeah. wear white gloves and they have their Leroy Jenkins moments where they just kind wow. of like storm down <laughs> the hill you way can, too early. You can please leave now. <laughs> what a weird reference to but make. No, you know exactly what I I'm talking about. I do know about. what you're talking about. So the word was used on purpose. I'm a millennial. So, so are you. Who'd you pick? Um, I picked Frank... Nitty needy is that the other cop no he's the uh he's the guy that gets pushed off the building i think oh the like weird creepy dude yeah the one who's like outside his house which was my favorite scene in this movie because he was just like and a nice house really it's like yeah it is and he's like your wife in there and he's like yeah and then he says he's not even like uh yeah he's like of course and he, Where else would she be? Frank responds with something that is said twice in this movie, and it hit me weird both times. He said, Nice to have a family. Because that's what Elliot says Said. to the cop. What a weird thing to say. It's good to be married. I wonder if that is was that like, how people talk to each other? I wonder if that was like a plant to know to tell Elliot that like we know the cop that you were talking to. Like we're so embedded in the police force that we know what you fucking even said to him. I don't know. It doesn't it didn't seem that it didn't register me then, but um It's good to be married. Okay. Is it? A lot of people might disagree with yeah. that sentence. Can we talk about the baby in the baby carriage? Yeah, the whole like battleship Potemkin or whatever what was it? Das Boot? No, it's Potemkin. It's Battleship Potemkin moment that's like every piece of trivia on this movie is like, did you know that they were referencing this movie? And then this movie and this movie also referenced it. It's like, like 17 film students were like, I just watched (laughs) Battleship Potemkin and I'm realizing now. Which is a very boring movie. I'm sorry. It's not good. It's so freaking boring. I want to say it's not good. Yeah, the it's baby not kept smiling through like these explosion shots. Also, the long beat of Kevin Costner looking to the mom, struggling with her yeah. bags, seeing the oh, baby. Yeah. Couldn't leave his post, walking towards every single fucking person walking in and out. Help the baby or don't help this baby. Like, yeah. 
I don't think maybe it accomplishes what they had hoped it would accomplish. It's not a great character moment. Yeah. But my, I just, I loved, I loved the way that scene played out because as soon as uh, Andy Garcia like stops the baby and the mom is like, my baby. And he's like, he's fine. Calm, <laughs> calm down. He's like, you stay there. He's that fine. whole exchange was my favorite. And, Gar- I, and Andy Garcia has like a one handed catch. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he gets it. And he he's like it. across his body, like aimed at the guy. I was he, like, he's. He catches the carriage before it hits the bottom floor, right? So it's like it made it all the way down the stairs. Common sense would say that it's probably not going to tip over. It seems like a pretty sturdy carriage. But yet he catches it with one hand before it hits the ground. Yeah. And then like through the carriage bars, he like lines his shot. It was just like Mm – I get what they're trying to do. It just could have been done differently. Yeah. It was weird. And the way it's shot makes it seem so self-important. But – who am I? I've never directed a movie <laughs> yet. That's true. But if I did, I would include a moment like when he shoots the because yeah. that whew, made me die a little inside. Would you remake this movie today? I do. I think the thing that would prevent me from doing it is just what we were talking about earlier. There is not I don't know if there's an audience for like gangster movies. I don't think that that's where we're at yeah. socially right now. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what is like filling that gap maybe it's all the sort of like uh like cops who are sort of on the wrong side of the law but like are doing good. doing good like i think that's maybe more what we what we get in abundance now yeah i think it's hard these days not to get too heavily into it but i don't think a lot of people will look too fondly on the days of prohibition being like yeah like go mm-hmm. fbi tracking down those moonshiners i think people now are like that was a big big fucking mistake just simply in terms of public health like it didn't solve anything and in fact it yeah. only gave rise to organized crime it only led to the deaths of like thousands of people across country and ultimately for what like the the amendment was repealed only a few short years later yeah so i think now it forced these two jazz musicians from chicago to go all the way to florida and pretend to be women but they didn't they didn't need to do that they had a great <laughs> gig out in the burbs if only they could gas the car guys check out some like it hot episode 30 on the boot um yeah i just don't think that this is necessarily it would resonate so i don't think you would need to reboot it i do think it's a good movie um, so I think, I think the, the enduring legacy of Elliot Ness, like we're always sort of going to look at him fondly in a weird way. Yeah. Um, just because we've turned him into a hero. All right, guys, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Boot. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoyed The Untouchables. If you liked what you heard, please check out our other episodes and check out our next episode, which is our last Kevin Costner one, before we move into Halloween, before we move into the the genre of horror. um, Uh, And we promise we'll start recasting women again. Wow! You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media as this podcast at the boot podcast on twitter and at boot podcast on instagram you can find us separately because we're like capone and ness when we're not in this booth at kenneth trent and at flimby thanks for joining us this week we'll see you next time and have given the signal, we will engage from the Canadian side of the bridge. Thus taking them by surprise from the rear. That surprise, as you very well know, Mr. Ness, is half the battle.